Let's go to Gene Connolly. Hello? Hey, Mr. Connolly, how you doing? It's Mark and AJ from Sports Talk New York. This, is a se- this segment on the show is really what this show is about. You know, the new generation of kids that watch TV on the internet or download podcasts onto their you know, iPod about the past generation. Most of the kids that are watching or even the young adults that are watching think that Bo Jackson was the greatest two-sport athlete to ever live and the one that had the most success. Today, right now with you... We're catching up with Gene Connolly, who was Bo way before there was Bo. Last week we had Oscar Robertson, who was the last NBA player and only NBA player to score a triple double for a full average, a triple double for the whole season. I can pretty much say with with pretty good confidence okay. that you were the only person that has done this, won an NBA three NBA titles and a major league baseball championship. And I would stand to say that that mark is going to hold for a long, long time. So it's a pleasure to have you with us this evening. How you doing? Well, I'm fine, and thank you. Yeah, I think it will last a long, long time. This lasted since I did it. Uh, I, I used to wonder why more, more guys didn't do it, but maybe they had too much money in their pockets. <laughs> you, know, you, you get to an issue I was going to talk about later, maybe talk a little about now, about today's players and why you don't see it. And I, I wonder if part of it is because there's less incentive to do it because players are making, in no matter what the major league sport, are making so much money they don't have to get jobs in the offseason. Back when you played, most of the players had jobs in the offseason. Well, that's true. But, uh, you know, if, if they did it nowadays, they, they could make millions instead of just a few thousand. Well, <laughs> <laughs> let's go back to the offseason. Let, let's go back to the beginning. You know, you were a, a three-sport star in high school, track, baseball, and basketball. At that, at what time were you ever, you know, considering becoming a professional? And at what point did you decide, all right, this is going to be my main sport, this is going to be my backup sport? How did that all come about? Well, it's, it's a really a, it, it, it's a long story, but I played basketball uh, uh, down in Oklahoma, I always uh, played in the YMCA. I always played all sports, football, basketball, and baseball. But then when I got into high school, I uh, I stuck to basketball and baseball because there wasn't enough time for anything else. And since I played both of them in high school that way, then I when I went to college, I went to college on a uh, basketball scholarship, but I also was on uh, the baseball team as a pitcher. So I had a lot of, uh, when I went to college, uh, College. I had a lot of uh, background from from uh, my high school days in both of those two sports, so I so I just kept them up in high, in uh, in college for a couple of years until oh uh, I don't know what it's about forty nine I guess uh, we won the coast championship in uh, baseball went to uh, Omaha and that's when the scouts started following me when I was a sophomore in college for baseball. And in basketball, uh, I lived in the West Coast in scoring in basketball. So I had guys looking at me, and you back, and all of them waiting for my class to graduate in basketball. So I was ready for both of them. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. If you were around, if that was the scenario today, the media would be following you every step that you've made. Do you remember your first major league outing? When you took the the mound for the first time in the majors, I sure do. It was it was it wasn't too exciting actually because I played in Hartford, Connecticut in a ball for Tommy Holmes his first year after he retired from the Boston Braves. He was my first manager. I was twenty years old, right out of college, and he took me down to Hartford, and I had a very good year. Matter of fact, that was minor league player of the year that year uh, at Hartford, 
But uh, uh, after that, Hartford's uh, minor league, A-ball, uh, they sent me right up to the majors against the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1952 when they were at their full strength. And I started the second game right after Spawn pitched the first game. And uh, I gave up four or five runs. You know, I was a nervous wreck, so they didn't watch me too long. After a couple more outings, they sent me back to AAA. <laughs> so it, was, it, it had a little salt in it, not all sugar that first one. Well, well, the thing is, though, you have to take us through the fact that here you are, a 23-year-old rookie on a team with Henry Aaron, Lou Bredette, Warren Spawn, and you end up third on that staff in wins with 14 wins. Well, you know, what was going through your mind at that point with all the success you had as a rookie? Well, uh, you know, I'd, I'd played, uh, after I left, after they sent me down, I'd played a couple of years in AAA in the American Association, uh, Milwaukee Brewers, and then later on the Toledo Mudhens. So uh, in 53, before I had my first year in 54 with all these guys, uh, I was a minor league player of the year, and I was the MVP of the American Association in '53. I won 23 games, so when I joined them, I was—I really felt that I was ready. So I didn't feel uh, intimidated at all. I felt—I felt like I could do the job. So now, how did your NBA contract come about? Uh, well, it's a, that's another story. When I was playing in the coach playoffs in basketball, when I was a sophomore, uh, we were playing against Johnny Wooden's team down at UCLA for the close playoffs, and Bill Sharman, who was playing with the Celtics at the time, he was like a rookie or one, one or two-year man, had seen me play against uh, UCLA because he had played at USC. So he was watching the playoffs down there, and he told Red Arback about me. And then Red Arback called me up in 1952 on the phone and said he... Uh, had heard about me and he was wondering if I'd be interested in playing basketball. Of course, I didn't know who Red Arback was and I didn't know anything about basketball because I was, it was an Eastern sport then in 52 and I was from the West Coast. So uh, I didn't know whether to do it or not, but I, I, I thought I'd go find out, you know, but I hadn't played in a long time, but I really didn't play much in 52. He mostly, mostly just set me around. And paid me a, a grand forty five hundred dollars to sit and watch him. <laughs> so, so did, did you tell him? Did you tell him, G Red? I, you know, I'd love to play for you, but you, you should know I also play baseball. Was he aware of that? I'm sorry. Was he aware you're also playing baseball at the same time? Yes, I did them both for twelve. I went, I went twelve seasons without stopping. I, I didn't take a day off I, as soon as the basketball season was over. I would take uh, a, a weeks off and go to Florida and play catch or work out with uh, Paul Wainer, one of those Hall of Fame guys, you know, play pepper and catch a little bit, and I'd call up the teams and say I was ready to go. So how, I, how, once, I once pitched a shutout with nine days after the playoff game in <laughs> basketball. Wow. So how did each team in each sport react to the fact you were playing a different sport? How did the Celtics feel about it? How did the Braves, Red Sox, whatever? The Celtics wanted me to play. Red was always saying, you know, we watch you, and and, uh, and uh, you can go play baseball. That's all right. He used to tell me, go down there and get out of shape in baseball so you can come back. <laughs> so you can play baseball. I said, go get out of shape okay, so, you, so you can play baseball. <laughs> but uh, basketball, uh, the baseball people didn't like it because uh, a couple of times they, uh, I had a lot of trouble because they was afraid I'd get hurt and stuff. And uh, two or three times I took some money not to play. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I read somewhere in an interview that you had given that you felt that the NBA players kind of resent, when you, you took that break and you came back to the game, 
the NBA players kind of resented you, like looking at you, like, oh, here comes this baseball player thinking he can play, you know, basketball. Was that the teammates or the opposing teams? That well, I don't know if they said that, but it was just. Uh, I, I think the people got the feeling that uh, I was just there, kind of like a, as a gimmick, you know, a baseball player playing basketball out there, you know. But uh, Red, believe me, Red wouldn't have kept me if I wasn't helping the team because Red Arback is not one to. Uh, he, he was just looking to win, period. That's all he, he was. And he used me uh, as, as a player to, to help win the, win, the, win the leagues, you know, the games. All right, let's switch oh. back to, to baseball for a second and, and go to the 1955 All-Star game. You actually were charged with the loss in the 54 Midsummer's Classic, but you were selected yeah. to play in 55 in front of your home crowd and to say that you rose to the occasion would be a, a tremendous understatement. Could you take us through that 55 All-Star game? Yeah. Yes, it was quite exciting, believe me, because I was playing at Milwaukee at the time. And at the All-Star break, I'd won 11 games. Uh, but I did have a little bit of a, a crick in my shoulder, you know. I had a little bit of a tear there, but that didn't bother me because you kind of pitch with pain once in a while, but it did hurt me a little bit, but I was in the bullpen because I just pitched two or three days before. But the game went on so long, it went into extra innings that DeRocher had, had to get somebody up, and the only two guys left were me and uh, Louis Arroyo, uh, who was a reliever for the Yankees at that time. That was in 55. And so they had Al Kaline and Al Rosen were right-handed hitters coming up in the 12th, so I imagine that's the reason he brought me in. And uh, luckily, I, I got three of them in a row. I struck all three of them out that came up, him and K-Line and Rosen and, I don't know, Mickey Vern, I believe. And, uh, <laughs> Not a bad innings and, worth of work, Dan huh? Dan Musial started, went to the, was in the dugout. He was leading off in the 12th, and he, he, he poked uh, Hank Aaron on the shoulder going up the steps. I remember he says, we don't get paid for overtime, do we, Hank? He says, no, we sure don't. So he hit the first pitch for all right. <laughs> okay. I thought that was pretty funny. That's great. So let's fast forward to 1957 where you accomplished the first part of your amazing feat of championships. What do you remember most about the 57 championship season with the Braves? Uh, well, I remember we. It was, it was pretty rough, though, in August and September because there were a lot of injuries. I know uh, Hank Aaron got injured, and we lost Billy Bruton, our center fielder, who was really people uh, underrated. He was an underrated center fielder, a great ball player. We lost him. He, he sprained an ankle or a broken ankle or something, and Bobby Thompson uh, got hurt. And uh, we were kind of fortunate. We They brought up a guy named Hurricane Hazel, Bob Hazel. And... Uh, he hit over 400 and, and won about four or five or six games on. He was that's why they nicknamed him Hurricane, <laughs> and uh, he got us going again. So we wound up uh, pulling away right at the end. But boy, it was getting nick and tough because we had uh, Del Crandall sometime playing in the outfield. You know, the guys were injured, but we pulled through. So it was just a talented team, though. It was just loaded with great ball players that you didn't hear much about because they were from Milwaukee and. That's you know the old beer beer town that people didn't think much think much of a big city you know but it was loaded to, if you only knew how much talent there was with those players it was just amazing and and uh, with Spawn and Burdett and Buell and oh my goodness Johnny Logan played shortstop Eddie Matthews Red Changes came over and bailed us out and Joe Adcock and Joe Torrey uh, 
Joe Torrey's brother Frank was playing then, Del Crandall, mm -hmm. Andy Pasco, uh, like in West Covington. We, we had these team. guys that didn't fill them, didn't make the Hall of Fame, but they were great, great ball players. Well, actually, you won two straight pennants, 57 and 58. Right. And, and one beat the Yankees in 57 and lost to them in 58. Yeah, lost about two thousand dollars, but losing. <laughs> <laughs> so now, first paycheck was eighty three hundred. Next year, I think it was fifty five hundred. <laughs> wow, that would be a big that difference was big now. Money in those it, days. It, it certainly was. I mean, people don't realize, but back in the day, that was. But now, so you've got your, your World Series ring, and, and now we're going to work on your NBA. So actually, do you which do you actually wear before I even ask the NBA question? Which ring do you wear out? Do you wear any of those I, rings? I don't wear either one of them. I send them to my son. My, my son, he's got them. Really? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, you know, you wear them around, the next thing you know, somebody will be knocking on your door. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk, let's talk about the NBA championships now. You played some amazing teams and some amazing players to win those titles. Some oh, of the greats goodness. that were on the opposing team, Dolph Shays, Hal Greer, Elgin Baylor, Bob Pettit. Which of the NBA titles was the most memorable for you and why? Well, I'm probably the first one, but it was easy because it was the Los Angeles. It wasn't the Lakers. It was Minneapolis Lakers. That was with Elgin Baylor, you know, and Hot Rod Huntley and that bunch. And uh, Elgin Baylor, uh, they weren't they weren't quite as talented as, as the, the next two two years that I was there because then it, then we had a rough time with Syracuse Nationals and uh, and we always had to get through them and then we had to get through the St. Louis Hawks. And I mean, when you go down to St. Louis, you know, you had uh, Pettit and oh goodness, uh, they were loaded. <laughs> uh, they, they always had great teams, and uh, so so it was just the basketball in those days. It was just it was you know you had to go through Wilt Chamberlain's uh, Philadelphia team, and they had Nate Thurman with them, you know, and and uh, it's just it's the whole thing was just they were all Hall of Famers, you know, and played four years in college. In those days, the guy didn't make the team list. He was an All-American, played four years, seemed like, because there were only eight teams, you know, in those days. And that isn't very many players, so they, yeah. they got the cream of the crop. Absolutely. Who was the best basketball player you ever played against or with? Uh, Bill Russell was the best player I ever played with or and against. Okay. okay, that's interesting. Absolutely, we actually had a debate before we went on the air, yeah. AJ and I, and we kind of tried to put it in context. There were two uh, younger people in the studio that we were talking to and right. trying to, to, to really grasp not only your accomplishment, but the fact that you actually were a teammate of Henry Aaron and a teammate of Bill Russell, conceivably two of the greats in either sport. Then we were trying to, you know, Determine whether Russell was, you know, the game-changing center, or was it Chamberlain? And the uh, fact that you said Russell, I think it was Russell Chamberlain was stronger and could rebound with with Russ, but Russ was was quicker and was a better passer and uh, and, and uh, was more energetic. He, I think, he blocked more shots, and he, he was. A, a, I think he was a. I don't like to say it, but I think he was a smarter basketball player than Wilt. Wilt was domineering and great and had a lot of records, but uh, Russ worked in fine. And, you know, we had a team that I, I was fortunate to play on that, that seven out of the ten were, whole, were now in the Hall of Fame. Wow. 
So as you can imagine, playing playing with seven guys on the floor, I never got on the floor. And I thought all four of them were Hall of Famers that I was on the floor. Or be like Kuzi well, or Sam Jones or yeah. or uh, John Hav- not Havlicek, but uh, Tommy Heinsohn or Sharman, yeah. just just loaded. Bill Sharman. Not so to mention the coach as well, Red Arbach. Yeah, Red Arbach, yeah, Hall of Fame coach. Unbelievable. So, so let's continue this discussion we started having last week uh, with a different guest. Uh, who was the better guard, Bob Cousy or Oscar Robertson? Two different types. Two different t- types. Uh, Oscar Oscar was was a better shooter, and uh, was was uh, was a type of player that uh, carried the ball. Uh, uh, he handled the ball well and could pass well. I really liked Oscar, but Cousy worked out fine with us because we were a running team. And uh, with Russell, uh, as fast as he was for a big center, and Cousy loved to get the ball going, and Red believed in fast break all the time. Mm-hmm. So it really it made uh, Cousy was more uh, helpful to our team. Now, now to another team, I don't know how helpful it would be, but Oscar, I just, I just loved to watch him play. He was just... It's hard to say, but he he was good for his team, but Kuzi was good for our team. It sounds like him, but what are you going to say? One shoots better, and right? One right. Both all time greats, right. absolutely. Right. All right, now let, let's go to the other sport. Who was the best baseball player you ever played against or with? Well, if I had to start naming baseball players, I'd say. <laughs> I played against Willie Mays and all that. Those Giants, remember they used to have uh, Monty Irvin and Mays and, and Alvin Dark, and then the Dodgers had Duke Snyder and Jackie Robinson and Furl Owens and Hodges and Campy and all them guys. And you're asking me who, who was the greatest I played against Roberto Clemente and the old them guys, wow. Dick Grote and, and Wally Post and Ted Kozuski, and you just go on and on. Stan Musial, <laughs> Kenny Boyer, you know, you just, every town you went to, you had five or six guys that were just loaded, just right waiting for you. Because there's only eight teams in, too. Do you ever so you just sit back and realize you know, you, what you've accomplished and, and the players you've played against, players you've played with in the two sports? And it, you, you, if you were to go to either Cooperstown or, or to um, with, or, Springfield, or Springfield, Springfield Mass Springfield. and walk through the halls of both of them with a pad, you could probably list a good 100 to 150 in both places. Oh, I, I put a lot of them in there. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny though. I'm up there. I'm on the third floor up there. There's, there's a plaque of minor league players, you know, that made the Hall of Fame, and I'm the only one up there on this plaque that was a minor league player of the year twice. <laughs> on the third floor, 1951, 1953. Wow. Jay Taylor Spink uh, had me. I won 21 year and 23 the next. I was on the minor league player up there, but I didn't get my I didn't get my bronze. I didn't get my yeah. <laughs> didn't get one of those headshots. Nah. <laughs> now, well, there's always a veterans committee. <laughs> yeah, I got to No, listen, I had I was very fortunate to play with with so many great players and against so many great. Really, it was uh, it was it was fun. I played against Ted Williams and you name any of them, Jackie and Ted. And, 
it just goes on and on. And now, there was one other incident in your career that, that's kind of gone, it's like one of those unsolved mysteries where you, you were on a team bus and there was traffic and you and Pumpsy Green got off and then, you know, you ended up at the airport uh, looking to get on a plane to Israel. You know, I've been asked this for about 40 years now. And my wife wrote this book, she called What of the Kind. And she put two chapters in there, chapter 26 and 27, I believe. And she explained the whole story like that in the book. And it's, it's got 40 pictures and 340 pages, and then you got more stories in there that you think of. It's a hardcover. And I tell everybody if they want it, they can, they can buy it from me. If they want to email me at Conley at AOL.com and spell it G-E-N-E-C-O-N-L-E-Y, and I'll, I'll sign it and personalize it and package it up and send it to them and and don't forget to send a $30 check with it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll actually put that link on our website. But but of all the places to go back then, why why were you headed to Israel? <laughs> I was having a spiritual moment. That's all. Don't you ever have a spiritual moment? <laughs> Every day. <laughs> a spiritual moment or a spirit-aided moment? <laughs> well, it, it was kind of a combination. <laughs> 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 a spiritual moment and some spirits. <laughs> all right. I'll never hear the end of it. You know what's funny about 115? I was having a good year. <laughs> Uh, on, at, at that point, it wasn't even a, a very good. You were having a good, a good year, year on a bad team. team that year. I had a good year, so right. I, was, I, I was having a spiritual moment too. You know, there's an Israeli baseball league still now. <laughs> you could go back there now. You'd probably win 20 games right now. <laughs> no, no, you're going back too far now. That was oh my goodness, I can't believe that's been uh, 1962. I they they told me that 40 years after that there was. A few stations around Boston were always signing off at midnight saying, Good night, Pumpsy Green, wherever you are. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's funny because it, it, it actually comes up as one of those this date in baseball. It's, it's bizarre. It was like, a, I think, two weeks ago, actually. I, so, know. I, think I, July, I hear it all the time. It's very, funny. <laughs> very funny. Now, let me uh, ask you this last question. When Bo Jackson was at his height of popularity, you know, doing the Nike Bonos commercials, were you sitting there saying, wow, could you imagine if I did what I did then, today, what the paychecks would be like? Well, I don't know. You see, see, football, football and baseball go together better than basketball and baseball because, see, the, my sport runs over. I never joined the baseball team when I was playing until after the season started. They were about 10 games into the season when I joined them when I was playing basketball all those years. And I didn't get any spring training. I'd just go down to Florida and, and uh, work out for about a week or so and, and go. So they they overlapped. So I was lucky to get, uh, get away with it. But uh, somebody said, how, how did you ever get away with it? Why did they put up with it? And I said, because I was helping the team. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> And if you had, if, if both those teams say, "Look, Gene, you have to choose one or the other," which would it have been? Well, they did. They did one. One Bob Carpenter, who owned the Phillies, uh, I pitched for them one year, and he told me, he says, "Gene, I don't want you to go back to the Celtics. I want you to quit basketball because you're going to get hurt, and we're paying you twenty thousand dollars to pitch, and, and I don't want you to play anymore." And I said, "Mr. Carpenter, I've got to play because." 
I could make $20,000 playing basketball as well. And I could play it for a number of years. He says, if you do, he says, I'll tell you what, I'll give you $20,000 extra if you quit. I said, no, I'm not going to take it. I said, because I want to play several years. And he says, well, you're not going to be playing for my team if you do. <laughs> Six, 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 six days later, I was the Red Sox. <laughs> he traded me. But I got the last laugh because he traded me the Red Sox and I lived 20 miles from, from the field in, in, in Boston. Right, and That's then you were Celtic and a Red Sox. doesn't get better than that. Well, so, so I turned down 20 grand just so I could play with him. That's yeah. great. All right, so again, what what is the title of the book, and how can the viewers get oh, it? Oh, yeah, really. People would love it. I sell a ton of them down here in Florida because all these old guys are my age, and they, they <laughs> know all these players I talk about. But it's called One of a Kind, and it's written by Catherine R. Conley. She took 10 years to follow me around and got the stories, and it's... Uh, you, you, you just, uh, I'll autograph it and she will too, and I'll personalize it. I'll package it up, mail it to you. It's a hardcover. And you, and, uh, and, uh, pay for the shipping and everything. And it's, uh, Gene Conley at AOL.com. Just send it to GeneConley.com and just write book if you want the book. And I'd be glad to send it and package it up and everything. But I have to get thirty dollars for it because there's not there's not money in books. This is a big heavy book with all kinds of pictures okay. in there. I got championship teams and and all the baseball Hall of Fame players and action shots and stuff. And it's it's a, a pretty interesting book. I didn't know I didn't watch her write it, but I I saw it after she was through it. I said that's. Okay. Pretty good. Go ahead. It, it, you know what? It's of your life, so it definitely will be an interesting read. What we'll do? Yeah, is... it, it's more of a home. It's it's what it's like doing spring training and and uh, go uh, how you could do how you how I managed to uh, do that. Excellent. We will put that on the arguments link. arguments with general managers and and owners and you know trying to do everything I could to play both sports because I really loved them. All right, Mr. Connolly, it's been an honor and a privilege to speak to you tonight. We'll put that link up on our website as well. And uh, I, I could pretty much say with confidence, I think you were probably going to be the last person to win a title in both the NBA and Major League Baseball. Yeah, won't allow anymore. That's it. Well, I still okay. enjoy all the sports. Believe me, I watch them all. So yeah, I, I think they're, they're really interesting. And I, I, I root for the Red Sox now. <laughs> not a yeah, bad team to root for. for. All right. Thank you so much, Mr. Connolly. Thank you. Have a great night. Been talking to you. Uh, it was our pleasure. Great. Thank you so much. Anytime. Bye-bye. Okay. You got Bye. it. Gene Connolly.